Solving Sacramento. The term housing crisis is ubiquitous in this country. In fact, anytime I read it in a news article, see it in a headline, TV news, commercials, the radio, you know, I almost don't even register it anymore. Like a comma in a sentence. At the core, the problem is this. People need housing and there isn't enough of it. All right, so that's the baseline. Then not too far behind that, you've got the topic of affordability, scarcity, driving up price, right? A recent article in U.S. News and World Report showcases Sacramento among the top 20 most expensive places to live in the United States, hovering just under Seattle and San Jose, and just above places like Denver, Stockton, California, and Washington, D.C. And of course, there's a ton more nuance to a solution than any one city council voting session or one more high-rise or affordable housing initiative. So what? I mean, are we stuck with too few houses? Rent that no one can afford? Who in this city is driving a solution? How are non-government organizations factoring into all of this? And what can we do for people living on the street? Across six episodes, this series intends to show how California's capital city is handling a nationwide problem. These conversations come from the perspective of city government officials to how that civic plan plays out in reality through housing agencies, and the voices of people who have lived unhoused themselves, now helping others find shelter. I'm Nick Bruner, and from Solving Sacramento, this is Housing in the Capital. So this is our first go at the topic in audio form, but you can read a lot of stories about the challenges of housing in Sacramento from our journalism partners. There's the Sacramento News and Review, the Sacramento Business Journal, Cap Radio, and others. We round them up at our website, solvingsacramento.org. And I'm not going to lie, they will come in handy as background for today's episode because right off the bat, we get some pretty wonky language here and there throughout the conversation. You'll be hearing from a local housing advocate and the city's current vice mayor. The idea here is that we set up two microphones and let our guests take the conversation from there. Ben Raidersdorf and Eric Guerra do just that from the fourth floor of Sacramento's City Hall. Well, my name is Ben Raidersdorf. I am the vice president of House Sacramento. And our goal is to not only end the housing crisis here in the capital region, but to really help the city and its goals to transform Sacramento into a beacon of housing affordability and abundance, not just in California, but, but really across the West Coast. I'm Eric Guerra, a council member for the city of Sacramento in District 6 and the current vice mayor for the city. It just means uh, more work, same pay when the mayor's not around. But, uh, you know, the council members generally bring to light issues affecting their council district, and they work in tandem with the other eight districts to solve and address some of our not only city issues, but being the the largest city in our region, uh, also our regional issues. And I think that's an important aspect of one of the roles of a council member. What really strikes me when I think about the housing crisis is that you know, we, we, we took what is one of the most basic fundamental human needs, right? probably second to food, right? It's the thing that we all need. We all need shelter. You know, this, this is something that matters. It matters for students. It matters for immigrants. It matters for various communities of all, all sorts. You know, everyone is experiencing in different ways the, the sort of cost of the housing crisis, right? Everybody's rents in one way or another are going up. Obviously, not everybody's impacted the same way, but I mean, I think we all feel the effects of the housing crisis in, in different ways. 
the issue of housing becomes very personal because it's not just about putting a roof over their head. It's about building community and making sure that it's a it's a diverse community. Uh, that I think Sacramento has had a mixed story, you know, with redlining issues in the past. Uh, I feel very happy about the the fact that we're a diversity, but we still have much more to do about making sure that we have uh, a much more integrated city. Well, uh, Vice Mayor, can I can I call you Eric? Yeah, call me Eric. That's Eric, fine. I uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear. You know, you have been such a leader on housing in Sacramento. Where where'd that come from? You know, it, it all is a part of encompassing on what um, I think is important for government to to be involved in. It's how do we reduce barriers for people to achieve the opportunity that they want, uh, whether it's uh, political, social, or bureaucratic barriers. And one of those barriers really is housing, helping people get to that. Now, where does it originate for me? It, it actually comes from when I first immigrated here to the United States. Um, we didn't have a place to live, and uh, we first moved into a uh, little trailer home, and then after that, an abandoned ranch house that one of the ranchers uh, allowed us to rent. I mean, at the time, you know, the floorboards were busted. There were rats living in there, big barn rats with long tails. And, uh, you know, those memories my brother and I, you know, still joke about. Uh, and, you know, the the condition of the home was was. It was pretty bad to the point where I remember in the uh, it was the flood of '86, the roof blew off, and so we were living in the back of our uh, Ford Ranger camper until uh, my uncle and a couple other uh, coworkers rebuilt that roof. But that um, whole perspective of uh, available housing, quality housing as well, has been a uh, a top of mind. And the fact that we haven't had enough supply and making it difficult for people to uh, address their housing needs, those have been the issues that I think prevent people from moving and taking that step forward. Part of it also started back when I was a student at Sac State. And if you look at my wall over there, there's an article back when students were having a difficult time finding housing near the university campus. Uh, those issues meant that they had to drive further. So what we see today is that housing and transportation are the two highest costs to families. And when there isn't available housing and they have to drive further and those transportation costs are higher, then there's less for the family. So all of that combined has been uh, why I've been a, a big advocate to try to figure out how do we build more housing here where people have to drive less, they're closer to their kids' schools, uh, they can have an option to use a bicycle or public transit, all of those things that meet our climate goals. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think better maximizing the, the available land that we do have. Uh, and if we do that, I do believe that those reduce the barriers for people to actually achieve in a, uh, their, their dreams and their opportunities and have that extra time for their family. For decades, the type of housing that was being approved by local governments was this uh, four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathroom, three-car garage home. Um, you know, a lot of those you could you could date back for a number of policies that made it easier and cheaper to build there. But really, what uh, unfortunately also it did is it prohibited and some of the NIMBYism as well with apartment uh, development, multifamily housing development, and nonprofit affordable housing development. There is, uh, unfortunately, you know, you can't expect a young family to be able to just immediately go in and buy a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathroom suburban home. When my wife and I um, first moved into Tahoe Park, we were in a two-bedroom house. 
little house, but we're not building those anymore. And I think now, you know, what one thing we've pushed at the city is to try to diversify the type of options they are. Push for more multifamily housing, yes. Push for more, more townhome options. Also push for other, I wouldn't say non-traditional forms of housing because they used to build them. If you look in Tahoe Park, they used to have duplexes on the corner, smaller homes, some bigger apartment homes. There was a diversity of options. And just like when you go to the supermarket to buy cereal, you don't have just one option. There are people that have different interests and different price points. And I think that aspect is important. But even on the affordable uh, and workforce housing side, it's become even much more challenging with the lack of tools and resources that cities and counties have after the big recession where we lost redevelopment revenue. I mean, maybe we should jump to, to talking to some of the things that the city is is trying to do right now, some of the really exciting work that's happening to turn Sacramento into such a such a beacon. Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones that as soon as I came on was just the, 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 the cost uh, and the process and complexity of permitting housing in general. And the, the time and the delay uh, sometimes could jeopardize an entire project. So one of the things that we took on early, and now we've seen the, the results, is that we streamlined the permitting process. We created a much more ministerial objective process. Uh, and that has allowed to be able to provide more predictability for the uh, affordable housing projects that are on a very slim margin uh, even when we get gap financing. Second, we've tried to use different tools and be aggressive about how do we match different both city, county dollars to be able to fill those gap financing projects. Uh, more interestingly, when we did have um, a significant chunk of Measure U dollars, we were able to use those to leverage uh, housing con- uh, uh, gap financing on Stockton Boulevard. Uh, we see already you know, the Heights, which is um, Mercy Housing's project of 200 units of workforce housing being built. Uh, I worked with uh, the county, and now Mutual Housing is building the San Juan Motel site. That'll be affordable housing and even some market rate housing that uh, voluntarily, because of some of the incentives that we've put in, have included uh, well above 20% of affordability in um, in those units. And so it's a mixture of tools that we've tried to do by saying, what can we do to make it faster and easier to build more affordable housing? And we're seeing the benefits now. We see much more of diversity, but the fact is we need much more supply. And the city alone, and this is where I started off saying, you know, the council members are part of a regional planning, um, is uh, the, the, the city alone oneself can't solve that solution because our housing challenges are regional. I, I think maybe it's worth giving a little more detail just on the the idea of a ministerial housing process i know that the anybody listening is going to find that to be the most boring sounding thing <laughs> but it you know to stress this is so important what this basically means in sacramento if you want to build a new housing project and your project it complies with zoning code and it complies with building code and and all those things if it if it follows the law your pro, your your project gets approved through a through a staff process right through an automatic process um, which is such a big deal because when we you know when you read articles in the San Francisco Chronicle or the LA Times over these big political food fights over new housing projects right because there's always going to be somebody who doesn't want you know a new apartment building in their neighborhood and when you make it a political decision over every building right not only do you get really inconsistent application so the only places where you end up building new housing are in places with you know less vocal neighbors but also you just get much less housing right because it becomes politicized in every instance and sacramento has been really good at we apply a fair rules-based 
process to decide what housing is permitted and what isn't, and then we're just going to move forward with that. We're going to set the rules. Well, Ben, you don't even have to say the San Francisco Chronicle. I mean, all you have to do is go down the road, and Elk Grove is currently totally you know, in the targets of the Absolutely. Attorney General because of that issue. And, you know, the, they're going through that process now, and I, you know, I credit the mayor for res- being responsive and trying to look through an avenue, but the fact is, it was it was um, neighborhood opposition for an, uh, for a, a project that had the the, the administerial opportunity to move so. Uh, and, you know, like I mentioned before, why why did we push for ministerial? Because I remember when I was chairing the County Planning Commission, the opposition to, you know, housing that was um, going to have the support and the resources to help people take that next step. And I'm a big advocate for workforce and affordable housing that comes with the support services. You know, the the thing that I, I uh, appreciate that over just building a bunch of apartment complexes, which we need the supply, but is that we need to be able to start thinking more creatively about the challenges that working families need. One of the exciting things in the general plan is uh, multifamily housing as part of our general plan. We also have the, the developer look at what are the needs, like child care centers. Yeah. We need to be co-locating child care centers with workforce housing. We need to be able to have on-site uh, counseling support services for career services so that folks, when they come into a workforce housing or a multifamily housing unit, it's a chapter in their life. It's not their life. It's their ability to find that next step. Maybe they're partnered with Habitat for Humanity where they can own their home. Because at the end of the day, we want people to be able to find a path where they can build equity, where they can build their own um, uh, wealth that brings back to their kids. And we reduce that cycle of poverty that we see as some of the past policies of redlining have left communities. You mentioned the general plan, which which maybe is a good opportunity to talk about the next great exciting thing that Sacramento is doing, which is that we are poised to be the first city in California to, to do something called ending exclusionary zoning. Well, exclusionary zoning basically limits uh, what you can and what housing type you can build in a certain area, which is why you have sprawling communities and urban sprawl um, where everything is R1 in one area and you don't provide uh, the mixture of housing types in a neighborhood. And when you do that, you also uh, in uh, uh, create a particular class of community. If all you have is a community that are these massive suburban homes or mini McMansions, then, um, then that's the level of income in that community that's going to be there. If you have a mixed-income community, you learn from people. You know what? I, I, I feel great the fact that I work next to someone who is a, a warehouse, uh, you know, longshoreman for their, their life, and also somebody who owns their small mini manufacturing firm. Across the street from me, someone who uh, worked with uh, HVAC for years, and also someone who owns their little tech business. And it's a mixture community. And what happens with that is that kids grow up understanding different life experiences. I think the communities are richer uh, because of that. But more importantly, that mixture in housing type creates more options and more supply so that we aren't competing over the same limited supply of housing. Not to get too technical here, but that's what's so cool about this general plan update. So basically what what the city is planning on doing is replacing sort of unit-based, density-based zoning, which says that, you know, we're, we're going to regulate our zoning based on how many units you can have on a lot, right? And right now in, in most neighborhoods in Sacramento, that it's usually one, sometimes two. 
right? It's how many how many units of housing you can have per that plot. And what they're replacing it with, they're saying, you know, let's go to regulating the size of the box, right? Let's regulate the building that you can have on the block. You know, it, it, it obviously complicated technical language for how the, how the city ends up doing this. But the idea is if you want to build a big single family home or, you know, a medium sized single family home on that plot, great. But if you, if you alternatively, you want to, you want to cut that single family home in two and turn it into two units or three or four or even five, right? Like as long as it's the same size and it's maintaining the same amount of green space, then from the city's point of view, that should, that should be equivalent. And, and in some ways, actually the city's working hard to, to incentivize more of those smaller multifamily, uh, which is really cool. It makes a big difference. It, it is. And in, and in fact, the, the movement forward now where we've pushed to uh, make uh, accessory dwelling units, uh, the ADUs or, or the, uh, the in-law quarters, um, has uh, been a big effort because it, it is providing um, for families that are multi-generation an opportunity to be able to have them. I mean, I grew up in, in Mexico where you always had almost three to four generations in a household. But you don't always need that forever. It's also become an opportunity to have that open space or that open unit to rent for someone who needs a smaller space. And that's important for young professionals because young professionals are starting their career um, you know, the, the options for housing are limited. And so if we want someone to go to Sacramento City College and then transfer to Sac State and then stay in our area, we have to have housing that's available in that price point. We need to be thinking about what we can offer our future generation, our kids, to be able to live here. When Housing in the Capital continues, Ben Raidersdorf and Eric Guerra dive into just what pushes Sacramento residents out of their homes and onto the street. You'll hear about the state of the city's general rent and how housing even affects public health. That and more when we come back. Support for Housing in the Capital comes from Cap Radio, the Sacramento region's public radio station and news site, and a member of the Solving Sacramento Journalism Collaborative. Read more at capradio.org. It's Housing in the Capital. I'm Nick Bruner. Our conversation this week taking place between Sacramento Vice Mayor Eric Guerra and House Sacramento's Ben Raidersdorf. In this half of the episode, rent prices, housing's effect on public health, and what drives people in the city out of stable housing. I almost think about it, we really, we really have two simultaneous housing crises, right? We have our sort of long-term supply crisis, right, where we have not built housing to keep up with jobs or population growth since, I think, 2008, right? We have systematically underbuilt housing for a really long time, and that's why everybody's rents have gone up, right? Like, that's why everyone's mortgage payments have gone up, right? Housing's just more expensive because there's not enough to go around. But then there's also this this sort of acute crisis, right? Where when you when you don't have enough homes for everybody, some people get left without them, and and that's the homelessness crisis that we're we're all experiencing. You know, we we live in a we live in a county with ten thousand people sleeping on the street every night. How do we get back on the on the path to building more supply? Which, you know, as as I think the city of Sacramento has really recognized, is a big part of that has to be market rate units, right? We have to build new for profit housing, right? You, you're never going to be able to have enough subsidized government. Um, funded affordable housing. I think we need twenty five thousand uh, new units by the end of the decade. On the conservative side, I right. think if we're being successful about you know the things we want to achieve in our city, 
it's going to be much more than that. And uh, but to your point about the you know those that need homes, many folks before were in say motels or they were in um, you know the lesser quality apartments, and uh, because of the crisis of not so no supply, those folks that were in lower quality, you know, uh, low end apartments were pushed into motels and the folks that were in motels were pushed out into the street. And so what we need to ensure we do is we also build, uh, motels by the way, on their own, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, the ideal solution for people because many of the folks who were in those situations needed wraparound services. I do think that what the legislature recently did um, and uh, being able to allow to use some of the state funds to build housing, the mental health support services, because building permanent supportive housing is a critical aspect. And I hope that not only our county, but counties are across the state, and we function more as a mega region. So we should think about our challenge, not as what is Sacramento County, but Sacramento, El Dorado, and Placer to the Bay Area. That is kind of the flow of communities. And so I think for us, we I hope that those counties start building the level of permanent supportive housing with the mandate that's coming down from the recent state laws so that the folks that have been pushed out not only have a roof over their head, but the, the county support services, the mental health support services, the uh, any counseling services or career services that come with that permanent supportive housing so that they can get back on their feet. That's, uh, I think, the what's uh, what we've been missing for a long time. Uh, the other uh, a challenge that we're facing right now is also on top of not having the funding for gap findings for some of these affordable housing projects, but just like the rest of the country, inflation has hit us significantly. The cost of construction has hit us much more significantly. And so projects that were underway to get built are all of a sudden now having to repencil themselves and reduce down to size. Uh, and that's an important thing, I think, for listeners to remember is that cities in, uh, themselves don't build housing. It's it's the the nonprofit developers or the entities. Uh, we do have a housing authority, but even then they will contract it with somebody to build it. And when the costs have increased, those are, are difficult. The other biggest challenge that we face as a city, I mean, remember, 1849, uh, you know, that's when our city was uh, incorporated and, uh, you know, uh, uh, later chartered. Uh, but uh, our, our uh, bones are a lot older. And it's every, every time you start digging in Sacramento, particularly the central city, you start finding new things. In fact, this uh, here at City Hall, where we're at, we found, um, you know, the the remains of um, uh, the Nisanan people. And so uh, all to say is that it's much more expensive to do infill. And I think making sure that we are finding ways, uh, such as SACOG's uh, effort to do Green Means Go, uh, and look at reducing the cost of infrastructure. Before we even talk about opening a door or building a door or a window, the cost of water, sewer, electrical becomes so expensive that that affordable housing project doesn't pencil out anymore. So those are the biggest challenges right now that we're facing. We were able to improve the, the permitting process and the, the paperwork process, but we still have the financing process. And that's you know to be clear that's a that's a problem that exists for all housing projects right I mean we 
you know, there's something that a lot of people don't know, but we're actually, you know, we're, we're seeing real-time progress in Sacramento, right? Rents declined last year for the first time in 13 years, I think 13 years. And, and a lot of that is because of all this new supply that's coming on the market, right? You know, the, the big apartment buildings that you see in Midtown or Downtown, right? And that's really good. That's really exciting. We're, we're making a lot of progress. But at the same time, it's gotten a lot more expensive to build new apartment buildings. And also, you know, a challenge that I think we're going to face as we continue to win the war on the housing crisis is that, you know, by definition, we're going to push rents down, which is going to make it less attractive to build new apartment buildings. So we got to, we got to find ways to keep making it easier and, and more affordable to build new housing, right? This, that's why this has to be a constant iterative process. We can't just say, okay, we, you know, we changed our zoning code. We changed our building code. You know, it's easier to build housing. Now we can declare victory and walk away. Right? Like this, it's going to take a long time to undo the affordability challenges. Those are, and, and the predictability part of it too, because even though construction on a project, once they actually start constructing, maybe 18 months. Um, but if, if a, project is become speculative over time, then um, then why choose a particular location? It's easier to go build in Greenfield and take up ag land than in an area where you have good access to public transportation. So we need to figure out ways and prioritize. And that's one of the things that, you know, I've been advocating on the city council when we're looking at these resources and we're, we're looking at, say, um, the any kind of credits or assistance. It, let's do it and focus in in areas that we want to see these vacant lots uh, filled up. So that's the exciting part about Stockton Boulevard, which we hope will be a model for Del Paso and uh, Franklin and all these areas that used to be the old highways. Those are So they were built like highways. So that's why you have gas stations and car repair areas. But now they're in the middle of, of uh, the community. And so those areas, if we are able to make it easier to build housing in those areas around public transit and around the grocery stores, because that's where the grocery stores are, now you have an option for people to reduce their transportation costs and their housing costs. But it means we've got to find ways to look at the utility costs that come in uh, to build it and also uh, how we finance it. Anytime we can leverage our local dollars with state dollars to attract federal dollars, that's a win for us as all Californians because California is still, I think, a donor state. Most of our tax money goes out to other states. And so every time we get a federal dollar back, we're capturing our own tax revenue back to our state. And what better way than for housing? I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts. You know, another issue that the that the city is thinking about right now uh, is this idea of a mixed income housing ordinance. It's a city mandate that says if you want to build a new apartment complex, a new housing project, you have to set aside a set of your units to be subsidized affordable housing, right? To be rented for for less than market rate or usually less than cost. You know, is this, is this something you're you're working on? You're thinking about? In the Law and Legislation Committee, we're going to be hearing uh, what the mixed income housing ordinance could look like. And again, the the point, I think, uh, the the, op, the benefits of this is that you create opportunity for different uh, family levels, different income levels, the diversity of need. And having the diversity of need uh, is good for employers, too, because then you can keep your workforce nearby. Like the your work for any business, the workforce is always diverse uh, from your technicians to your experts to your clerical support staff. 
so that's the important part. The, the question that we have to make sure is, uh, is, does it pencil out? Because at the end of the day, we can make a pie in the sky, the super altruistic policy, but uh, in the world of scarce resources, if the people who build housing say, you know, I'm just going to go to another jurisdiction, then we've actually produced less or none. And that, I think, is the, the, the balancing act that we have to approach. And I think the, the, the thing that I would hate to see is that we see more and more sprawling happening where we're uh, making it an incentive for farmland to be sold for uh, sprawled out uh, uh, development. And anybody who's been stuck on the 99 coming up from the South uh, knows how you could be on there for an hour. Uh, that loss of not only gas, time, and money um, is a huge opportunity cost for us. And that's, you know, that's something I think that, you know, my impression the city has done very well is thinking about it in a sort of non-zero-sum way, right? I think there can be a real incentive to pit subsidized affordable housing and market rate housing against each other and to see them as things that are in competition when really they're both such important parts of this overall solution, right? Like one may help more in the short term, but the other is a key part of expanding the supply and, and reducing uh, rents in the long term for everybody. Um, and I, you know, I, I think there are ways when we can find, you know, solutions that are, you know, it's that, that, um, that end up making it, you know, creating incentives to build affordable housing in ways that are, that are, that are not restrictive on the ability to build more housing of, of all sorts of types. We, and, you know, one of the things that we do have currently is, uh, uh, the require the option. You could either do a percentage or an in lieu fee. And the in lieu fee has produced some amount of revenue that we can match. The other thing that we're, we're thinking about, uh, how do we look at the in lieu fee and another match is creating enhanced infrastructure financing district. Right now, we created one for Aggie Square, and the second phase is to create it for the uh, four-mile stretch of Stockton Boulevard so that we can capture that future tax revenue and be able to use that as a leveraging point. So even if we're getting... Uh, a chunk from the um, the in Luffy for housing construction. Can we find other tools such as like a enhanced infrastructure financing district that doesn't increase taxes but captures that future revenue to also have it as a match so we can get more revenue from the state or the federal government? I think those are the tools that uh, we have to think about. And then the bigger piece is uh, when we think about um, how is this in tandem with the rest of our region, because housing is a regional issue. Uh, the pressures that affect the city also have to be compared to what's happening around the city as well. West Sacramento and uh, the other neighboring um, uh, uh, counties as well. Uh, and uh, and so this, the so SACOG, the Sacramento Council of Government, is basically the entity of where the six counties and 22 cities get together, have put together their blueprint to try to be able to, hey, let's tackle this. How do we, how can we uh, look at building the right type of housing without affecting our farmlands, with, uh, with reducing our, um, our greenhouse gas emissions, our particulate matter and NOx that are affecting our air quality, um, and being able to, to build. So part of this policy, it's a tricky one because we, can't, uh, li we don't live on an island. If we were an island, might be a great idea. But when when housing builders can can just go out to unincorporated county land or somewhere else, you know, other cities in the region, 
um, then that's exactly what we don't want to be happening, right? We want to be bringing the housing development in. And, and you, know, to, you know, you mentioned this, but it's really worth underscoring that like housing is an environmental issue too, right? Where if we continue to build housing in far out sprawl, you know, the distant parts of Sacramento County or even other counties, people are commuting in by car, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, just to just to go to their job versus if we're building, you know, we're sitting here in downtown Sacramento and we can we can see from right here, you know, several plots that that are slated to potentially have infill housing where people's, you know, commutes might be like a seven minute walk. Right. And that's an environmental issue. And, you know, we it's not just that we need to be solving for affordability. Right? Like if we want to take our climate goals seriously, we have to find a way to build a lot more and infill housing. We keep using that term, but infill housing is any housing that's being developed within the existing city context. And it's something that, you know, I know you and the others in the city are really pushing for and and we're seeing some real progress. And part of it is they're being environmentally conscious could also uh, bring the cost reduction down. When uh, the project over right now on Stockton Boulevard that's being constructed, it's all electric. There's no gas. And they looked at the analysis, like, should we put it in? Should we not? And they found, you know, thanks to SMUD, and I got to hand it to all the great team at SMUD for keeping our electric rates the, you know, the uh, the cheapest we, in we the region. We all love SMUD, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but because of that, we're able to also reduce the cost for uh, folks who live there and also reduce the cost of the project. And so as we move forward, if we're looking at ways of how can we reduce the cost of a project, sometimes the green solution is the... Uh, the more the the more cost effective solution, but it's also the right solution there. I do have to say, like people forget that Sacramento is in a federal non attainment zone, which means that our air quality is a challenge to the to the point to the federal government has have some tight leashes on our on our federal money, our transportation money. So housing is an important part because it's a public health issue. Uh, we used to ha have a point where we had poor air quality in the winter because of wood-burning stoves. Uh, that Now that we're advancing how we build our housing is much more effective and, and we're doing retrofits to current homes, uh, we've seen that drop dramatically. You don't see, you don't walk out of your house anymore in the winter and it smells like a campfire. You know, In the summertime, we have knocks. We have all of the smog. Uh, well, you know, if people have to drive less, that means less smog. So part of that is how we build our housing also improves our public health. You know, they gave us a list of questions to talk about, and and one of them was, you know, how how can NIMBYs and YIMBYs come together to address the the issue of affordable housing, uh, which I, I found to be a kind of a funny and interesting question. I'm curious how you think about this, but something that really amazes me about politics in Sacramento is, you know, th this question doesn't really apply. That you know, when you think about the the sort of canonical NIMBY people who are really angry about the idea of affordable housing in their neighborhood. I don't know about you, but but I'm kind of amazed by how few of those people there are in Sacramento and how overwhelmingly this is a city that feels very excited about new affordable housing, including in their neighborhoods. You know, what, what's your sense? You know, obviously you represent some neighborhoods that are sort of historically, uh, you know, uh, uh, less diverse. Well, I will say, um, you know, the it, one to look at 
a numbers game is uh, is not a, f- uh, a fair way of doing it. Just because there are less NIMBYs doesn't mean we go with the YIMBY policy or, li- or vice versa. But uh, understanding the concerns is, I think, the most important part. What the quote-unquote NIMBYs uh, and, um, you know, uh, would say, and I think their concern when I think about it is, they enjoy the character of their community. They enjoy the quality of life they've had, and they have a fear of that that change. So acknowledging that aspect, and that's an important piece because that's what makes some of our communities so unique is that weird funkiness that that exists in Tahoe Park, that, you know, that uh, old historic, you know, drive down T Street on Elmhurst where you can imagine the streetcars and others going back in those days. Those are important pieces. What are the tools and policies that ensure that type of quality of life is the focusing conversation. That's where I think NIMBYs and YIMBYs could work together to address those points. But if we just hash it out to positioning, then it'll be a political game and not a a solution-oriented tactic. And so I think for me, that's the way I would uh, hope to approach it and have approached it uh, every time I've had this conversation. Because, hey, when you own your home and when you want to own a home, those are very Very two strong strong feelings. came to Sacramento, I, I ended up in my car for um, for the summer because I, I didn't know or how or where to get into or and how to navigate the system. But once I found out, you know, and was in an apartment and I didn't like that apartment complex or that apartment management or the price, I went to another one and, yeah. I, and I could shop around. Totally. Not having enough supply doesn't allow consumers to use their force to be able to shop around and get better service, better quality, better products. So I think the, the fact that we're doing it here so much uh, is, uh, is, is coming to, uh, to bear. Uh, now, there are areas where that's why workforce housing is critical, yep. because there are, you know, are some of our teachers or clerical workers, you know, grocery workers that are not in the central city you know, th- th- we need to be able to build workforce housing in those areas so that they're close to their work to be able to spark that. So that's where we still need, even though on the on the development side, that's where we still need the subsidized housing. Uh, and you know, we'll continue to do our advocacy with you. We've been with you at the at the state capitol, knocking on uh, the governor's door. Yeah, saying, you have. We have to. We have to. You're do more. pretty much the only city in California <laughs> that's doing that. Every other city is saying, "Quit making us build so much housing." <laughs> And the other thing that's so true there is that that's why we need you know zoning reform too, right? Because in a lot of cases, workforce housing it's a it's a policy choice. We're saying you you're not allowed to build smaller, more affordable units, right? And you know some really cool. I used to live right next door to the the Sunrisa development downtown, which is such a cool example where it's micro studios, right? Where they're they're really small studios and they're super affordable, right? Like they're really way way lower than other rents. Obviously, it's a subsidized affordable project, but but the idea that the city's making it more flexible so you, you you can build different types of housing. You know, obviously, we'd love it if everybody could live in a big apartment or a big single family home, but you know, we don't live in that world. And the next best thing is making sure that we have all sorts of different housing types for different types of people. Uh, the city's doing that really well. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And like I said, diversity is a strong piece. It's a it's a great part of our city. It's good for housing. It's uh, and it's also uh, I think the the uh, um, the thing that will help us move forward.
Now you heard Ben and Eric mention exclusionary zoning. So as a footnote to our very first episode, the City Council of Sacramento did vote to end exclusionary zoning at the end of November. Be sure to follow Solving Sacramento's journalism partners to see how that plays out over the coming weeks and months. And if this conversation piqued your interest, weigh in. We would love your questions on housing here in town. What are your experiences? Shoot us an email, info at solvingsacramento.org. And check out our website. It's where you'll find articles around housing in this city, too. Our journalism partners include Cap Radio, Outward, Russian American Media, Sacramento Business Journal, Sacramento News and Review, Sacramento Observer, and Univision 19. Cena Christian is our project manager and books our series guests. She is the master of adult schedule Tetris. I've never seen anything like it. Kat Graziosi is Solving Sacramento's project editor. The series is recorded, produced, and hosted by me, Nick Bruner. Our theme music was composed by producer and educator Lillian Francis. Find her music on Bandcamp, find her on Spotify, find her on YouTube, find her in the street, ask to shake her hand, tell her what a fantastic job she does. Next week. They have no place to grieve what's going on in private. They're doing it right there on the street. And I can't think of too many more horrible things that can happen than to be invisible when you're in so much pain. Voices from Volunteers of America and Hope Cooperative come together to talk about their experiences living unhoused and how they're helping that community now. Stay subscribed, and we'll see you then.